Good morning. So, yeah, I was um, on my way here this morning, and I made the, you know, obligatory phone call to mom on the way here. And uh, it's kind of funny. My kids always used to, uh, my not my kids, my uh, brothers and sisters and I used to always kind of get into this competition to see who would be the first to wish mom, you know, happy Mother's Day. And yet... Uh, um, this year was just a little different. My my sister died uh, a few months ago, and so it's made it very hard for mom. You know, moms, we want to say thank you. We want to say we love you, and yet somehow that seems shallow, doesn't it? Especially when the realities of all you go through um, set in. Happy Mother's Day. We are continuing a series of messages, and this series of messages has to do with the life of Paul, and we are going to be taking up in the story in Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 19, if you would like to turn there with me. We're going to read verses 19 through 23 to begin with, but it's really the first couple of verses we're going to focus in on. And so Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, they got up and entered the city. And the next day, they went away with Barnabas to Derby, And after they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I titled this message, When Hope Seems Lost. Imagine that scene. Imagine the mob. Imagine the anger and imagine the horror that must have been experienced when that first rock struck Paul. And imagine as horror turned to nightmare as one rock after another after another struck him. Imagine you as, a, as a, a believer having been convinced of Christ, becoming a Christian. At that moment, the temptation to, to flee, to, I mean, to, definitely the flight instinct would be uh, kicking in strong. And yet here's Paul, as one rock after another gets bounced off his head, now he's laying there in the crowd the angry mob believes he's dead. 
I see this scene and one by one, these uh, people from this crowd in, in euphoria, knowing that this past, that, that this uh, tribulation that Paul had brought their way was now over once and for all. Imagine the giddiness now as they turn and head back into the city. They had taken Paul to what is believed to have been the area outside the city. They dragged him out to what was affectionately called the city dump. And they left him. And then one at a time, Christians began to walk over to where Paul was laying. Do you think I'm wrong to imagine that if the, if the mob thought he was dead, that they did as well? So imagine the discouragement that they were facing. I mean, imagine as here it is, just staring at in disbelief at what had happened. I mean, obviously, my mind's stunned in silence. So here's everybody, these disciples who've now gathered around Paul, just staring in utter silence. He moved. Shh! No, Mom, he moved. I saw him. You're seeing things. Shh, shh. No, I saw it too. And next thing you know, here's Paul gaining all of his strength to pick himself up. What that scene must have been like for these, for these Christians to go from that utter despair, that utter discouragement to hope. And imagine what it must have done for them as Paul picks himself up. And what does he do? Walks right back into that city. <laughs> that blows my mind. When hope seems lost, when hope seems dead, that's when God works the best. I believe God absolutely loves, loves it when he hears that word impossible. <laughs> I believe that God longs for us to come to that point. Because that's when he can show who he is. We see so many accounts of this throughout the scriptures. Um, I want to go back in our, my mind to the book of Judges chapter 6. And here we find ourselves with the story of Gideon. And with Gideon, uh, we find this perfect example of uh, what happens when hope seems lost. Or at least we would review it as that. It says, verse, Judges 6, 11, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, which was in or uh, 
Ophra, and which belonged to Joash the Abaziite, whatever he was, and his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So here he is at uh, night, we believe, trying to uh, salvage any wheat before the Midianites come and take it all from him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Hiding at night, you know, beating out wheat. Uh, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then uh, why then has this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of the Midianites. You know what? We find ourselves once again with a situation. All hope is gone. All hope is lost. And we uh, fast forward here in, in the story and you find out God making a promise to Gideon that to go against the Midianites, God was going to give him, give them into his hand. And you know what he said? With all of his faith, he said, prove it. <laughs> and God proved that he was with him. And then Gideon once again said, God, prove it again. This time was with the, the wet fleece. And if that wasn't enough, the next day he said, God, okay, one more time. Prove it. And then with the dry feet fleece, God answered again. Yes, I am with you. We get, go to chapter 6, verse 14. And we find then this verse, the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Median, ha, the Medians. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? What am I supposed to do? In other words, behold, my family is least in Manasseh and the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Uh-huh. Prove it. I got a question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you looked and had to say, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not like me, where you are totally convinced in the power of God to work in everyone else's life except for yours? God answers everybody else's prayers, but, but mine. Why? Why do we find ourselves in that situation? As the story goes on with Gideon, he went to amass an army, and God said to him, <laughs> You got too many. You got too many. I, and I love this line. Let me, let me just go ahead and read some of this. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Um, it says, Then 
Jerubbabel, that is Gideon's other name, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him arose early, and they camped by the spring of Herod, and in the camp, uh, and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Merah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you, <laughs> too many, for me to give them into your hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My power has delivered me. Now, therefore, come and proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, go home. And of the 32,000 soldiers, 22,000 left. God said, Okay, Gideon. Still too many. Still too many. Okay, here's what I want you to do. They took the soldiers all down by the water. And those who got down on their knees like a dog and drank water, he sent them home. And those who went to take the water and drink it through their hand, he kept them. 300 were left. And then what? The Lord said to Gideon, that's verse 7, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lap the water and give you the Midianites into your hand. So let all the people go and each man to his home. You know, we read the story and it goes on about how once God had whittled that army down to 300 men that God began to work. When hope seems lost, when hope seems dead, that's when God works the best. You know, we can go back to so many other stories. I find myself thinking with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were told that unless they bowed, they would be thrown into the fire. Remember them? Oh, yeah. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. The king says to him, Now if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the lyre and the trigon and the psaltery and the bagpipe and all kinds of music, fall down and worship the image that I made. Very well. But if you do not worship, then immediately you will be immediately cast into the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Uh, dare I say, when hope is lost. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning the matter. Uh, now, I'm thinking in my mind that would not be the kind of time to be smarting off to the king. <laughs> you, don't, you can't make me answer you. And then it says, Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. And God 
began to work. Over and over we see these stories. But we see here someone who was willing to do whatever it took. You think back of the feeding of the 5,000 and there you've got a lad with five loaves of bread and two fish. And that's when God worked best. This is impossible. Where are we going to find food? You know how much money it's going to cost Jesus for us to go get food for everybody? You know, it's is impossible. They're going to fade on the way home. Stand back, boys, and look out. Can I tell you a story? So it was uh, Friday, I think it was. I'm on my way home. Get right by our house, right by the quick trip. And as I'm driving along, I looked and I see right there in the middle of the road, there's this wallet. So I hurried and quickly pulled into quick trip. And my mind, I'm thinking, <laughs> I remember one time I was uh, going along. I, I, I was driving down the road. All of a sudden, some, I wasn't driving. Somebody else was. And I saw a bill fly up into the air as the vehicle passed it. And then I saw another one, and I'm yelling at the person driving, stop, stop, stop. And so I get out, and I'm running right in the middle of traffic, and I'm gathering these bills together, and I'm gathering one after another, and I'm going along, and then I see a wallet, and I'm like, oh. Well, for one instance, I was thinking in my mind, oh, there's going to be lots of money and absolutely nobody's name in it. And no, uh, I opened it up. There was a license, depression, right? <laughs> And there, of course, was an address on the license in Derby, but, you know, I didn't want to hassle with that. I just, I wanted to try to see if I could find the guy's phone number. So I tried his, Dylan's, you know, their value card, see if they would give me a phone number. No, they're no help at all. So I called, actually, a police department. They're no help at all. Then I ended up calling um, Fidelity Bank. He had a debit card in there. Now, by the way, there were some other goodies in there that would have caused my eyes to light up uh, <clears throat> if I had not gained composure by that point, point in time, you know. Uh, and so here uh, I call Fidelity Bank, and I'm just like, they're like, well, let me talk to my supervisor. They get back on, and it's like, no, I'm afraid we can't do, we can't give out that information. I'm like, all I'm asking you to do is you call this guy, tell him I've got his debit card, give him my phone number. I said, I feel like you've got a vested interest in him getting his debit card back. And they said, no, we can't do that. So I'm getting ready to go to bed, and it's nap time for me. And right about then, I get this phone call from this guy. Apparently they had called him after all. About time you think, well anyway. Uh, so I end up uh, going and uh, uh, giving Tina the information because I'm going to bed and she's going to take care of getting him the, the wallet and she calls him and they ended up meeting down by quick trip. And this is where the, the, in a sense, the story begins because here he was. I'm so thankful for, uh, you know, Tina getting the wallet. And, um, um, and he said, let me give you some money. 
And she's like, no, sir. She says, I just think back of the number of people who've helped us out. And so, no, that's not why we did this. I, I just, uh, uh, you know, thank you anyway. But he's like, well, hey, I don't know if you're a believer or not, believer or not. But he says, when I lost my wallet, when I realized I lost it, I just started panicking. And I started thinking, what in the world am I going to do? All these things going through my mind. And all I knew to do was to start praying. And, you know, I, so I just started praying that somehow God would work, that, that my wallet could be found. And so here he is telling Tina this. And he says, so please take this money. And she's like, well, no, you don't understand how good God has been to us. And so, no, I, I can't, I don't want to take your money. Please don't. Um, and he says, well, what if I've told you that I feel like God was telling me that I needed to give you this money? And here's Tina's answer. She says, well, what if I told you that I thought God didn't want me to accept this money so that you could praise him and thank him for this? and he's like please please just please take this money and she ended up accepting the money it was fifty dollars and you know i i look at him and his example about how uh uh in that moment when hope seemed lost what did he do well fast forward okay i ended up taking my son and i we went out fishing yesterday and we're going up to Lake Marion we had to drive about an hour to get up there and we show up there and it was so exciting now I'd heard about this place but they said you can't get to where you need to go except unless you have a boat and so I had gotten our canoe we strapped the canoe on and everything so we're going to go out and we pull up and this camping area is so beautiful we've fallen in love with this place immediately and then it's like Ugh! And my son's like, what'd you do, Dad? I said, you won't believe it. You won't believe this. And I realized at that moment I forgot the paddles. <laughs> and I'm immediately, this day is ruined. This is horrible. It's got to be 25 miles back to, to anywhere there's a Walmart. And my son's looking on his phone. He sees there's a bait shop there in town. Last chance bait shop. <laughs> this guy has it in his barn. There's a little shop behind his house. And so we drive over, all the way over there into town and thought, maybe, who knows? And so here we, we get there, and they don't even open for a half hour. It's like, now what? You know, do we even take a chance this little podunk nothing bait shop is going to have paddles? Well, I said, well, you know, let's wait. And so he comes out uh, eventually. I mean, actually, he came, opened it way early. And lo and behold, this guy had everything. And he had two paddles there. And they were 25 bucks a piece and I'm like this is outrageous I'm thinking but I am not going to ruin this day and it's like come on Chris yes you know I talk about yeah I'm going to do this and I buy these paddles and you know what this day has been saved and we go out we had a great day except for one exception but anyway that's none of your business and we had a, a marvelous time out there and we're on our way back home and by the way now I need to tell you 
back, backdrop of the story. Before we left, I asked my son to stop and to see if he could buy some crawdads at this uh, little Asian market and then also some um, uh, chicken livers. And so he had bought me these chicken livers. So we're on our way out. We stopped at Quick Trip and he's going to go grab us something for breakfast. I'm handing him some money and says, here, that'll cover it since you covered the, the price for those crawdads. He says, oh, yeah, but you're covering the gas. So, no, I got it. Okay, fine. You know how that goes, you know, father and son deal. I'm going to pay. No, you're going to pay. So um, we get out there, and we, then we are then coming back, and we're stopping at Burger King. And we, as we stop at Burger King, um, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And so, of course, I pull out my wallet, and I said to him, I said, oh, I totally forgot about my wallet. Um, I'll just give you this one little detail my wallet was soaking wet. None of your business why, but it was soaking wet. And so I pulled out the $20 bill to, to pay. And he's like, he says, they can't take this money. It's all wet. And I said, yes, they can. I said, well, and then I, so I grabbed his 20 and I said, uh, uh, so anyway, yeah, so they'll take it. Trust me. And he said, Dad, I'm not going to take your money. And I, while we're waiting, I tell him that story. I said, who knows, maybe God worked by providing the money for me to give you this meal. And he says, no, he didn't. <laughs> God provided you that money to pay for those paddles. <laughs> and, you know, in my mind... The thought went through my mind. It's not about who was going to pay or anything else. And I have no idea why it was that God ended up blessing us with that money, whether it had to do with that or not. But you know what? The fact that my son walked away recognizing the kind of God that would be so good to provide what I needed when I acted like a dimwit and I didn't bring the paddles and he was there long before it happened, taking care of it. It's amazing how God works, especially when you're feeling like a dimwit. When you feel like all hope is lost. Mother's Day, right? Moms, I want to say some things. Dads, you can eavesdrop. If you're quiet. I'm not going to use the word impossible, but I'm going to use another word that I think really carries the same idea. Moms, have you ever felt overwhelmed? <laughs> you ever looked at your efforts and you felt like, I have failed. You ever felt like all hope was gone and you're to blame? Yeah. We feel that way a lot with our efforts. And yet somehow we fail in remembering that the same God 
The same God who worked in Paul's life, who worked in Gideon's life, who worked with that lunch in the feeding of the 5,000 could take our meager efforts, our failures, and turn them around and do something good with them and work as only he can. Because indeed, that is when God works the best. When we can't take the credit for it, Right there in Lystra is that crowd has gathered around and looking at the body of Paul laying on the ground. I in my heart believe there was a young man standing right there watching everything that happened. And I don't know how this affected his decision to serve God and to become a Christian directly. But you know what? I have to think it had something to do with it. And for him to become the man of God he was. Because right there in the city of Lystra where they stoned him was a man, a young man named Timothy. Paul can't help talk later on about Timothy and his mom his mom's faith, his grandmother's faith, and how that was passed on to him. We read in the story when Paul came back to Lystra that he ended up telling Timothy, I want you to go with me. Think what that must have done to this mom. Paul took Timothy before he left there and you know what he did? It says that he, they circumcised him. Why? Because they didn't want him being a stumbling block to the Jews because they knew that his dad was a Greek. They knew, everybody knew his dad was a Gentile. Read between the lines. What must it have been like for his mom, Eunice, Growing up, trying to raise him to fear God, to love God, trying to, to saturate him with the scriptures, trying to, to do anything she could to, to be instill faith into him. And then, yet as a son, what son wouldn't want to be just like his dad? knowing that she was combating that. I wonder if she ever felt helpless. But lo and behold, Timothy rose up and became the right-hand man for Paul and was with him, encouraging him, doing anything he needed done throughout his ministry. Someday, I challenge you, you know, they talk about, you know, following, doing the map as far as the life of Christ. Follow the life of Timothy and look at his journeys. It's crazy. But a Paul, Paul, as he knew that death was imminent, he knew that his life was going to end. He's in Rome, the second imprisonment, which was very different than the first. He knew that death was coming and everyone had deserted him. Everyone had deserted him. Paul's writing to him and he says, Timothy, I need you. Come quickly. 
Here's the older guy telling Timothy, I need you. And if that wasn't enough, then he repeats it again. And he says, come quickly. Timothy's character was all part of the working of God. And you know what? As a mom, though, I could easily see how his mom, Eunice, must have felt, must have felt with the fear of him wanting to turn out like his dad. But she didn't let up. And you know, moms, sometimes you're going to feel like giving up. You're going to feel like letting up. You're going to feel like throwing in the towel. Some days, I mean, when you are, I mean, uh, you know, they talk about being at the end of your rope. I love this phrase, no rope. <laughs> when there's no rope left. Understand this. When there's no rope left, that's when God works the best. When hope is lost. God works the best. And, you know, I see that from this story, the life of Paul. Now, can I make, ask a question of Brandel? Do you have somebody designated for the Lord's Supper, or am I going to be? Okay, sweet. I'm ready, but we, even though it was never officially mentioned. Okay. You know, through this story, Paul talks about how through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Have you grasped what that was like for him, for Paul? We see him here being stoned, right? But... um. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, realizing that it was Paul who wrote these words. Romans eight sixteen. the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, with him, so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. Paul wrote that. We read about Paul being stoned. I want to throw a couple more verses at you. You ready for this one? Listen, just listen up. This is 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, Now you follow my teaching, your conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, and persecutions and sufferings. Such as happened to me, Paul says, such as happened to me at Iconium, or Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. We already talked about Antioch and Iconium. 
And you read through the book of Acts and you find out about two near misses where Paul heard that they were coming after him. And so he fled to the next city. And yet Paul here is talking about the persecutions that happened to him at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Is it possible that the book of Acts leaves out persecutions that happened there as well? Hang on to that verse. Paul later on in his life, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, is talking about his life and he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a deep, I, or night and a day I spent in the deep in dangers from Rogers. Dangers, dangers, dangers. Five times from the Jews, he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. And that all occurred prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians. You know what? You go back and you try to figure out when, when those occurred. It's tough trying to read between the lines and figuring them out. But you know what? When it's all said and done, I had no choice but to conclude that when Paul was in Antioch, they beat him with those 39 lashes, scourged like what happened to Jesus. And then he goes to Iconium, and the exact same thing happened there again. And he goes to Lystra, and they stone him. And he said, I am convinced that in this life, that the sufferings that we go through are not worthy to be compared. And why? As he described as a verse we read first, because we suffer with Christ in this life. Have you taken yourself into the whipping room? And have you taken yourself to the cross realizing that we are there with him, suffering with us? You go back to Mark and we find about Jesus that as he was on trial it says, answering again, Pilate said to them, What then should I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said, take him away. 
And then it says this, the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort, and they dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing down before him. And they mocked him. And they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him and led him out to crucify him. What they did to our Lord was horrifying. But what he did for me at that moment is nothing but humbling. You know, somehow I, in my mind, I just imagine him at that moment looking up at our faces and saying, I love you. Don't ever forget it. I love you. You know what, if he would go through that for us, you know, are are we willing to suffer for him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I stand just overwhelmed just thinking of all that you endured and suffered for us. God, we thank you for, Lord, more than anything else, Lord, taking our place, taking our sin upon yourself, Lord, for choosing to to show us as no one ever had before what real love was about. We thank you, Father, for the cross. We thank you for this time, Lord, to to come and remember your body and your blood and that you suffered in our place. Thank you for Jesus. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you are here with us today. Lord, that you are here strengthening us today. And Lord, you are here working in mighty ways as only you can. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.